As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Grey History. Questions and answers for the Grey History community. In this episode, I'll be answering your questions, and we'll be exploring a diverse range of topics, to say the least. On the agenda is Lafayette's time in prison, opportunities for Louis XVI to escape his fate, debt jubilees in the modern world, extrajudicial killings in the revolutionary era, and the prospects of avoiding the terror. Now, this episode is only available to Grey History members. But since you've already hit the play button, I've attached one full-length answer relating to the Marquis de Lafayette's time in prison and what the American government was doing to help him. But before we jump into that, I can't stress enough just how much Grey History is dependent on the listeners of the show for keeping the podcast on the air. Bonus episodes like this one are just some of the great perks for belonging to the community. So please do your part to help make history that isn't black and white and ensure that there's more grey history waiting for you tomorrow. There's a link in the show notes and it's the very first link on greyhistory.com. Anyway, with the agenda set, thank you to everyone who is doing their bit to support grey history. And remember that you can do your part for the price of just half a cup of coffee when main narrative episodes are released. Simply Google Grey History Podcasts and follow the link on the website today. The next question comes from John. And John asks, why didn't the United States do more to get Lafayette out of prison? He was clearly an American war hero and George Washington was president in 1793. Well, thank you for your question, John, and thank you for your support of the show. Now, Lafayette, just so that we're all on the same page, was detained by the Austrians in August 1792, after he abandoned the French army in response to the overthrow of the monarchy. Initially, Lafayette thought that his detainment was a mere formality, but it soon became clear that he was going to be an Austrian guest for quite some time. He promptly wrote to the American ambassador in the Netherlands, asking for him to be claimed as an American citizen and as an American officer. But the problem here was that if the Americans claimed Lafayette, there was a risk that there would be some sort of diplomatic incident. After all, the United States was neutral in the war between France and the coalition allies. The sentiments of some American diplomats can be seen pretty clearly in a letter, say, from Governor Morris, who was an American founding father. In relation to Lafayette's detainment, he said, quote, Although the private feelings of friendship or humanity might properly sway us as private men, we have in our public character higher duties to fulfill than those which may be dictated by sentiments or affections towards an individual. End quote. Even President George Washington, who was like a father figure to Lafayette, 
concluded that his government could do nothing. And in fact, he instructed the Secretary of State, who was then Thomas Jefferson, to informally express the sentiments of the United States, but not to do so in a formal manner. To make matters worse for Lafayette, the Austrians considered him a prisoner of state rather than merely a prisoner of war, which essentially was a label designated to foreigners who were deemed politically dangerous. And given Lafayette's prominent role in the revolution to date, he was deemed, well, politically dangerous. And I I don't think that that's particularly surprising. So in September, the Austrians uh, determined, just weeks after he was detained, that they would hold Lafayette indefinitely because he was an instigator of the revolution that had overturned France and that he was partially responsible for stripping King Louis of his legitimate rights. And they also accused Lafayette of holding Louis captive and of having been a principal instrument of all the disgraces that were overwhelming the king. Now, that same month, the Austrians handed over Lafayette to the Prussians who would supervise his captivity. But although he was locked up, he wasn't completely forgotten about by his American friends. Morris, for example, he made 10,000 florins available to the prisoner via Dutch banks and arranged uh, letters and protests and public speeches uh, in favour of Lafayette in various countries uh, by his friends. They were all seeking to lobby various governments on his behalf. Now, interestingly, one of the members of a foreign government that was actually currently at war with France, or about to be at war with France, I'm not quite sure the, the exact timing, was one of the individuals that interjected on Lafayette's behalf was Lord Cornwallis, who, of course, was an opponent of Lafayette and Washington's in the final Virginia campaign in 1781. Uh, Unfortunately, the British government took no action, but it was interesting to see that Cornwallis lent his support to getting Lafayette out of his predicament. Meanwhile, as Lafayette was in uh, a Prussian dungeon, revolutionary authorities had actually arrested his wife back in France in September 1792, and she was held in custody. And in a similar way to how Governor Morris intervened on behalf of Lafayette, uh, George Washington actually wrote to uh, Lafayette's wife and made money available uh, for her disposal. Unfortunately, the situation had only worsened by June 1794 when Adrienne was moved to Paris, uh, likely as a forerunner to her execution as a political prisoner. Uh, This was, after all, now in the reign of terror and both Governor Morris and the American ambassador at the time, uh, James Monroe, worked overtime on her behalf. Officially, they didn't do anything, but unofficially, they made it exceptionally clear to the French government that the United States would be very, very, very upset to learn of the execution of the wife of the Marquis de Lafayette, who was not only an American officer and an American citizen, but of course, an American war hero. And in fact, the American diplomats unofficially made it clear that America could be so upset by the execution of Adrienne that it might actually force them out of neutrality and to declaring war on the French. So as a result, the Revolutionary Tribunal hesitated to bring Adrienne to trial 
and it was that hesitation which saved her life. Uh, But unfortunately, many of her family members did not receive the same treatment, and her sister, her mother, and her grandmother were all executed in July, just before the fall of Robespierre. So, to get to your question, while the Americans weren't really doing much to effectively help Lafayette, they were extremely effective in helping his wife, Adrienne, survive the reign of terror. Now, if we return back to Lafayette himself, while all of this was going back on in France, uh, Lafayette was actually transferred from the Prussians back to the Austrians to Olomouc, uh, which is nowadays in the Czech Republic. Here, the Americans started to do more for Lafayette. They do what they, they could. Uh, so Congress passes an act allowing Major General Lafayette his pay, uh, which is essentially awarding Lafayette full back pay for his years of service in the Continental Army, which was definitely effective in helping Lafayette and giving him access to funds while he was in prison without causing a diplomatic breach with either France or Austria, which is what the Americans were trying to achieve. This, of course, though, does have some irony to it because Lafayette's participation in the Continental Army was partially premised on the fact that he would pay his own way. So the fact that he does get his full back pay, there's, there's a level of irony there. Now, in the meantime, Lafayette's wife, Adrienne, was released from prison in July 1795, and she promptly sent her son to the United States. She then secured a personal audience with Emperor Francis at, well, in October 1795, in which she made the case to, well, really pleaded to the emperor for Lafayette's freedom, uh, but he was not receptive and, yeah, denied the request. But he did, however, let the family travel to go see Lafayette, and eventually they resided in prison with him voluntarily. Now, eventually, George Washington personally got involved and intervened in a letter to Emperor Francis, but he didn't write it in his capacity as president when he did so. But either way, Emperor Francis was unmoved. Now, it's with some irony that the man who essentially rescued Lafayette from prison was, in fact, Napoleon. Uh, In the summer of 1797, Lafayette was released by the Austrians, although the Austrians claimed that it wasn't because of French demands off the back of their recent military successes in the Italian campaign, and it was just a friendly gesture towards the United States. You know, in reality, Napoleon was a, a big factor at play there. So I hope that answers your question, John, about what the US was up to and why it didn't do more. They did do some things, such as awarding him back pay and all sorts of other financial ways to help him keep himself afloat and his family afloat, but they were very cautious of breaking the policy of US neutrality, and they very much felt that the interests of the US as a nation had to come before many of the personal sentiments of George Washington's, well, in George Washington's administration, including belonging to the president himself. But I should stress that unofficial US diplomacy did save the life of Lafayette's wife, Adrienne, and that is a significant accomplishment that the Americans were able to achieve on Lafayette's behalf. Cassie has another question. Do you think if the royal family never tried to escape that their fate would have paralleled Tsar Nicholas II and his family at all, the constant relocation and the eventual execution? 
Thank you for listening to this preview of the Questions and Answers episode for members of the Grey History community. The rest of this episode covers a wide range of fascinating topics, including key turning points in the revolution, assassinations, and debt jubilees. This is just one of the many full-length bonus episodes available for members of the Grey History community. So come join the club and do your part to keep Grey History on the air. For the price of just half a cup of coffee, there's no better value on the internet. And I really, really need your help to ensure that there's more Grey History waiting for you tomorrow. With an ad-free version of the show, dozens of hours of bonus content, and the community Discord, there's plenty of exclusive benefits waiting for you right now. Either click the link in the show notes or simply click the first link on the website. As always, a huge thank you to the members of the Grey History community and I look forward to welcoming the newest members in the next main episode. As always, thank you for listening, stay safe and have a great day. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. Hello, everyone. My name is Wesley Levesay from the History of the Second World War podcast. Join me on a journey through the most destructive conflict in human history, a journey that will take us not just through the famous campaigns and cataclysmic battles, but also to the lesser well-known corners of the war that touched millions all over the world, as we try and answer not just the questions of what and where, but how and why. You can find History of the Second World War on all major podcast platforms or at historyofthesecondworldwar.com.